Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast, Justin Cuthbert and Julian McKenzie. And that's it. That's all. The Colorado Avalanche are Stanley Cup champions. But more important than that, Julian McKenzie wins the first ever Cuthbert McKenzie Confidence Challenge. And it's now called the McKenzie Cuthbert Confidence Challenge because he is the champion of our first and inaugural postseason challenge. Six Bobby Margaritas will be purchased at some point. I will need a location from you, Julian McKenzie. And those Bobby Margaritas will be on their way to Montreal. You'll be the only one in Quebec with access to Bob McKenzie, Brother Bob's famous new summer mixer. Um, So looking forward to that. I'm sure you are as well. Congratulations. Oh, I'm excited. Thank you. Uh, Your your victory lap can commence at any time. Uh, But I think we should talk a little bit about what happened between the Colorado Avalanche and Tampa Bay Lightning. First, I guess, I mean, you're probably doing pretty well because you won the challenge, but other than that, how are things? Things are good, man. Um, you know, I'm kind of sad the cup finals over. I was ready for it to be extended to game seven with the opportunity of seeing history being made by the Lightning or the Colorado Avalanche getting the job done and me winning the challenge. But you know what? I'm not upset. I think games? what we were Game, six games. I thought we got six really good games. It was it was really blowout. Good. It was really good. It was a really really good series. Game seven would have been fantastic, though. You're right. I mean, the pressure that would have been on the Avalanche, the sort of like storybook ending that the Lightning could have written if they won the game seven. Like if we're talking about high drama theater in the NHL, a game seven in this series would have been unbelievable but it was a fantastic series. It was best on best. Finally, it was something the NHL should be very, very proud of. It's something those two teams should be very, very proud of because this was unlike most seasons, a true representation of what great hockey and what great hockey competition can be. Absolutely. And I just keep thinking of how so many people were ready to write off Tampa after those first two games. Mm -hmm. And I really admire and I really admire the fight that they showed. I really like the fact that they sh- they they showed they could hang in game three. Yeah, they were down 3-1, but they really made a muck of things in, in that game five. And I really thought that they were going to do it when they took that lead in game six. When they, The way the game started, I thought, okay, they're at home. This is the opportunity for the taking. And then Colorado just kind of took over from there. And that third period, 
seeing that 2-1 scoreline as it was, I knew we weren't going to get another goal after that. And I, it's just to see Colorado kind of get back to that defensive style that worked out for them at the earlier point in this series, you knew when they had the opportunity to win that series, they were going to have to close it down. They, and they got the job done. So, I mean, I, I'll give Tampa a whole bunch of credit for how they handled it. Unfortunately, we're not going to see a dynasty as a result of them losing. But, man, like, it's nothing to sneeze at going to a Stanley Cup final three consecutive years in this era with 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 all of the with, with, with the salary gap era. Like, just, just period, just having to deal with those challenges. I think Tampa deserves a ton of credit for how they handled everything. Man, I think it's a dynasty. I, I, I don't know if three in a row is like the definition, really? but what? Six of eight conference finals, two Stanley Cups, four conference or four Stanley Cup final appearances. I mean, this is what they've done is incredible. And the great part of it is I actually don't think they're done. I think they, wow. I think they hit a wall. I think the war on attrition got them in this series playing without Braden Point, playing with a beaten up Anthony Sorelli. I think that's part of the reason, but I think they're going to be back. I think they're going to be okay next season. I think, yeah, maybe it's possible that they run into that wall. Maybe it actually presents itself this time, but I don't think they ran into a wall. I think they just sort of limped to the finish line. And maybe that has something to do with previous seasons, or maybe it's separate, completely separate. Maybe we it's independent from one another, these runs. Perhaps that's possible. Perhaps it isn't. Only the Tampa Bay Lightning, I suppose, know. But John Cooper, the way he acted after the game six loss, it was grace instead of excuses, but it was also confidence, right? It's a lot of yeah. confidence. And I believe him when he says the Lightning will be back. But I think we should talk about the Colorado Avalanche first. And I think you sort of nailed it with Tampa getting that lead. Like they were starting to suck the Avalanche into their world. They were starting to like get control of them. Like what, when you suck something into the orbit and then you have, you have control of it. And that's what it felt like when they were leading or tied basically every second in, uh, since the early moments of game three. Like only the lightning can take perceived disadvantages and make it so that they are in complete control of what's going on on the ice, even with a pretty sizable depth and I will say talent disadvantage. But once Colorado finally broke three, broke through rather, and especially when we got that second goal, it came a little unhinged for the Lightning. They didn't react well to falling behind after getting that lead. They wasted, I think, the last five minutes of, or so of the second period complaining and not really playing their game. And then Colorado defended the lead like a champion does, limiting the avalanche or limiting the Lightning, rather limiting the lightning to four shots in the entire third period when they needed a goal to extend their opportunity or chance at getting a three-peat. So I think Colorado deserves all the credit in the world, but the lightning made it so close. Like if this was a 60-40 split, they brought it down to 51-49. They did such a brilliant job having the games played on their terms. And because they were able to do that with the situation that they were facing, again, without point, and with an undermanned team with Sorelli injured, I mean, I, I cannot believe how well the Lightning fared. But the Avalanche, in this moment in time, were just the better team, fresher, healthier, deeper. Uh, and they really, really showed that, especially in the final moments of game six. Man, and, and I think about the overtimes we saw in this series. The second overtime, the, the game four result, 
we saw Tampa run out of gas. But if Tampa starts off that series with an OT win, I mean, obviously it's a different series. And you know what? Maybe I won't get into too many woulda, couldas, and shouldas. The series played out the way that it did. But the ultimate point I just want to make is, is that Tampa was right in this series. And with the exception of that blowout victory for Colorado in game two, you can make an argument Tampa had a case to win almost every other game that they could play. And even in the in the game that they lost, you know, we, we know Andre Vasilevsky has been so good in elimination games. I think he did his best to hold the fort. Just they ran out of time. I think mm-hmm. of it, you, th- you say it as them limping to the finish line. They, I think they ran out of time. They, they were in a position earlier in the game where it looked as if they were going to have to play with four defensemen. And they still tried their best to hold up their own. It's just Colorado, the way they, that, they, that they played in this series, the fact they took that 3-1 series lead, that really killed them. If this was yeah. a 2-2 series, I was prepared for a reality where Tampa was probably going to win four straight, just like what they did in the, uh, in the Rangers series. And they were right there. That being said, about them being done, there's just something that always happens with these teams that go to the final and they lose, and mm-hmm. either they're just not able to get back or they just fall off a cliff. Like, I, I don't know how to explain it, but Tampa, while they still have all those pieces there, uh, Braden Point still, I mean, look, you'll, you'll, have, you'll be healthy next year, hopefully. Nikita Kutrop will still be there. Andre Vasilevsky still in the prime. I mean, Steven Stamkos, is he going to have another year like what he had this year? But maybe not, but he'll still be a high-impact player. The defense is still the defense. They still have a really good core. But I'm not sure how to explain it, but there's just always something off with these teams that go to the final and they lose. And you go through the emotional high of getting there, and then you try to come down. At least for the Lightning's sake, they'll have more time off from the final Mm -hmm. into next year to kind of heal up compared to what they've had over the last few years. But I'm not ready to say that they're I, I'm not ready to fully believe them yet when they say they're going to come back, just because we know there are so many other teams, especially in the Eastern Conference, that are going to look to get better. We've hyped the Rangers as much as we have. We know the Leafs are going to try to get better. The, the Panthers look like they're serious with getting Paul Maurice as head coach. I think the Lightning are going to be in a bit more of a fight next year, and I don't think it is as much of a guarantee that they will be back. Well, it, it might not be a much as much of a surprise if they do, but I'm not ready to say yet that they are going to come back. I'm more prepared to say Colorado can come back, and I think they're the, they're the favorites to win again next year. That's what I was just going to ask you. If you believe more in Colorado, they do stand to lose more, Colorado. I think Nazem Kadri, Valeri Nikushkin, there's no way you could have both back. I kind of think Andre Platt's going to end up back in Tampa, but we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, Colorado stands to lose more but they are a deeper team regardless. Like they, they showed that in this series for sure that they have the horses to roll four lines continuously over and over and over again. They have immense talent in the top six. They have some scorers in the bottom six as well. This is a team that can withstand a little bit of a loss and still come back partly because they have such a strong defensive core. And I think one of the biggest like things, one of the biggest talking points in the series is like, okay, Vasilevsky is a huge edge on Kemper. And he did play way better than Kemper in this series. Like Darcy Kemper wasn't very good and Colorado still won without conceding much. And I think that says a lot about the state of the defensive core in Colorado. Yes, they can lose Josh Manson, I believe, but with Sam Gerrard coming back, that top defensive core of Kale McCard, Devontae's, like they're in really good hands. And I think they're going to find a way 
to make sure that they replenish some of that talent. It's a good but, young mobile core. But it's a good young mobile core for sure. They do have to find a goaltender, I think, and they have to make a decision on whether or not Kemper is the right guy moving forward. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the one guy that they move on from. But they're going to be back next year. They're going to have most of their talent back. They're going to be in a conference which could probably be considered easier or at least less strenuous, the path towards possibly returning to the Stanley Cup final. So I'm with you that I believe more in the Colorado Avalanche getting back there. And it's because of that defense core. It's because Nathan McKinnon's still going to be on a $6 million salary for one more year. I just think that they still have that nucleus that can get them very, very far. And like the Lightning, they have the coaching staff. They have a management team that's proven to be very, very strong. If you look at those teams, management, coaching, leadership core, all bulletproof. And that's one common theme. If teams are looking to, hey, we got to learn from these two, be starting at the top down because it's pretty impressive what they do at an organizational level and certainly with their their real select core groups. I'll say that. Welcome to the uh, the time where, uh, you know, teams love to be copycats and uh, we're trying to see teams trying to be their best impression of the so Colorado what did you learn Avalanche. What did Colorado teach you? Colorado taught me that you need, I mean, I knew this already, but you need depth at every single position. You need high, at least if not an absolute top three player at each position, you need a high impact player to get you there. And it is going to take you time. It is going to take you a while before you get there. It's not something unless you already have one of those fixtures in from, you know, a previous year and you're just trying to build around them. I say be prepared to, to you know, wait three, four years before you can say, okay, we have high impact players up top on defense. And at least with a goalie, with Darcy Kemper, even though he's not better than Andre Vasilevsky, I mean, this particular one, I'm proud to say, you don't need the goalie to carry mm-hmm. you to the playoffs. You need a goalie to get you there. And if your defense is good enough in front of him, anything is possible. Uh, even if they let Darcy Kemper go, I mean, I don't know if the Colorado Avalanche may want to be comfortable or comfortable enough going with Pablo Franco's, but they can at least put some money out there for a guy who's slightly above average and they could have him in net and be comfortable with the top four that they have on defense and the guys up front that can score goals. I think just as a GM, if, if I was running a team, I, I need some ability at the back end. Like you need guys up front and I'm okay with not shelling out nine or 10 million for the best possible goalie. Just get me someone who can stop pucks who's above average and we can go from there, but it's going to take me time. It took the, the avalanche didn't do this overnight. They were, this is a team that, you know, was able to get Kale McCarr after a terrible year, Nathan McKinnon as well. After a terrible year, they went through some pain to get some of those high impact players. Gabriel Landeskog, you can add him to that as well. It took them a while before it got to that point. And they're here now. It took two rebuilds, honestly. Uh, They actually messed up the first time pretty significantly. I mean, they didn't just get McKinnon and Landeskog. They drafted McKinnon and Landeskog in 2011 and 2013, and they tried to build, build around what was the next captain and the next superstar, and they failed to do it. They were running Joe Sackick, Patrick Watt, Tandem, GM, and it just didn't work. They were bringing in veterans that didn't stick, Jerome McGinley, Max Talbot, guys like that that just didn't work. They messed, they fumbled the ball with their first opportunity, but they realized as an organization. And I think one of the big things here is that Sackick doesn't, Sackick's not like any other GM in that he didn't have just one chance. 
he had all the chances in the world because he's probably the greatest Colorado Avalanche player of all time. Yes. So you weren't going to embarrass this guy. You were going to let him have another go at it. And they decided at some point, I guess after, actually probably before Patrick left, Patrick Waugh left, because Patrick Waugh left so abruptly that they were going in different direction, right? And Sackick started surrounding himself with different people and they rebuilt it again around Nathan McKinnon and Gabriel Landeskog. And that, that meant bottoming out. And that meant drafting Kale McCarr once they bottom, bottomed out. That meant trading guys like Ryan O'Reilly, Matt Duchesne. They started from scratch over again. And because they did it the right way, in five years, they're Stanley Cup champions. Four years, they're President's Trophy winners. Three years, we thought they might win the Stanley Cup. You can build it again. And you can give up on, not give up on something. You can just set the plan in motion a second time. And that's exactly what the Colorado Avalanche did. They realized they didn't have enough. They made their mistakes. They realized those mistakes. They realized they didn't have enough. And they started over. And when they started over, and they did it properly this time, within five years, they were a Stanley Cup champion. So it gives hope to other franchises that are struggling through things. You can just have a small nucleus. You can tear it down. You can start again. And if you do it right, this is the result you get. Colorado Avalanche could be the next dynasty. And they put it all together very, very quickly. Although there was a start. McKinnon, Landeskog, that's a start. Rantanen was there as well, but I hadn't played yet. But you can build this pretty quickly in the NHL. I think, you know, we, we give a lot of credit to Stevie Eiserman doing it slowly, and maybe that works out great. But it can be done pretty quickly. I think Joe Sackick and that management team proved that. And what they did at the deadline this year is just another shining example of how well they are functioning right now. There's no one way of rebuilding a team, as I'm realizing. Yeah. Like, like again, to bring up the Rangers, this is a team that in a matter of four or five years, they turned themselves into a really good Eastern Conference team. You can go back to the Tampa Bay Lightning when they realized into the early 2010s when they were on their way down, they had to reshuffle the deck. It didn't take them that long until, you know, they turned themselves into a truly competitive team in the 2010s and now look at them as the power that they are. But the one team I thought of when you were describing how the Colorado Avalanche went through everything is the Buffalo Sabres. And I know they've gone through a lot worse than what the Avalanche have endured over the last decade, but that's a team in the midst of its second rebuild as a franchise. But at least off of what we saw this past year with the young core that they're developing, the players that they have buying into the system, and a head coach who's proven to be a really good communicator in Don Granato, they can look at a team like Colorado and say, hey, you know what? They had to do this for a very long time and suffer a lot of pain and rebuild over their rebuild. It's entirely possible that it could happen. I'll mention also this too with Colorado. Joe Sackick staying around there, a lot of patience. Like, the, I mean, it's a little easier for him, you're right, because of what he means to that organization. You could have but patience also, when you're given patience, right? Absolutely. He could have easily gotten rid of a guy like Jared Bednar after last year and just said, you know what, we can't get out of the second round. This isn't good enough. But he was able to, he was willing to stick by him and look what happened. But patience is also something you have to keep in mind if you're rebuilding over your team. You have to, it depends on when you apply it, but some guys are worth keeping around because they're able to show that they can get the job done. They just need a little bit more time. And I'm not sure where the avalanche would be without Jared Bednar as head coach, a guy who last year, I think his biggest downfall was not adjusting against the Vegas golden Knights. When the golden Knights figured them out in that second round series 
and they walloped over them to win the rest of that series. Jared Bednar, at the very least, when the lightning started to come out, the Avalanche eventually responded with their game plan. And again, as we were talking about earlier, with the way they play that third period, that defensive style, we didn't really hype them up to be that good defensively entering that series. That has to that credit has to fall on Jared Bednar for being able to get his players to play that certain way. When you, uh, I went back and listened to Joe Sackick's uh, press conference to start the Stanley Cup final, and I think the first words out of his mouth when he was asked a question was, "You learn and you grow," and I think that speaks for him, that speaks for Bednar, that speaks for McKinnon, that speaks for the entire organization. They have been at this for a little while. This kind of these main players have been at it for for a pretty long time. They learned and they grow, they grew. They're now Stanley Cup champions. Um, among the players Joe Sakic's brought in, Devon Tays, Valeri Nikushkin, Andre Burakovsky, Sam Gerard, and also Nazem Kadri. And if there was one moment from the post-game celebration, it was Nazem Kadri's mic drop moment with Elliot Friedman and David Amber. Uh, it was truly a Connor McDavid moment where he started into a question being very nice and thanking everyone who supported him and instead of just throwing out pleasantries and and uh taking the high road he smiled and he told anyone who thought he was a liability to kiss his ass it was a spectacular (laughs) moment in hockey media history it was perfectly executed on his behalf he knew it was perfectly executed by the smile he had on his face he he got me like i thought oh man he's he's just gonna He's going to thank the Leafs right now. Like he's going to be very nice about this. And then he said that sharp turn so abruptly. It was an awesome moment. And if you walk it like he did, you can talk it like Nazem Kadri did. So congratulations to him and good on him for taking that moment to stunt on those who didn't believe he could be in that position. Talk yo shit, Nazem Kadri. I love that moment. I love it when guys are able to, kind of dress down and 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 just let people know how they really feel, especially when they're in a moment where they win something and it doesn't really matter what they say. And for a guy like Dawson Kadri to go through the postseason that he did, we're not even going to get into all the racist and Islamophobic comments he went through. The fact that he was able to stay on the ice and be a big player for the Avalanche throughout this postseason, just as people were wondering, hey, when are we going to get the quote-unquote real Nazem Kadri where he takes a boneheaded penalty and gets himself suspended for how many games? People were waiting on that. Generally, I think people were genuinely waiting on that Nazem Kadri to appear, and he didn't. He only came, All he did was just you know come through in big moments, play through a thumb injury, which maybe could have taken him out for the rest of the series, but he found a way to come back uh, in the latter stages of it and score a big overtime goal to, to give his team an important the moment of 3-1 lead. I think if that play does not happen, we this series is completely flipped on its head. You can make an argument it's the most important moment of that series for the Colorado Avalanche. So I have no problem with Nazem Kadri stepping up and saying, hey, everybody – who thought it was going to be a liability in the playoffs. And yeah, you can't help but think of people in Toronto who were thinking the same thing. And maybe people in the least management have said, you know what, we have to get rid of him because he's been that way. I have no problem with him going out and saying, hey, if you thought it was a liability, you can kiss my ass. It's one of the best things I've seen post uh, Stanley Cup victory. I love it. I enjoyed it. Everyone was going off on the Nikita Kucherov thing last year. 
where he was just doing the press conference. He's shirtless. He's got the beer. I'm willing to say the Nazem Kadri thing is even better than that. Like, I get it. Kucherov, he went off. He did his thing. We can get to Kucherov in a second because I don't think he handled that win very gracefully at all. But Nazem Kadri going out to say, kiss my ass on national mm-hmm. television. I love it. I love it. Yeah, he savored every moment, it seemed like. Uh, just talking to a couple people that were on the ice wa- watching the celebration, it was all eyes were on Nazem Kadri, his family. Uh, they really, really cherished that moment. And why wouldn't they cherish that moment? It was well-deserved. And maybe some people believed that it would never happen, even though when he left the Maple Leafs, he ended up in the perfect spot. Uh, you mentioned conduct. How, how are you feeling about the Lightning? As a hockey team... I think we both agree more respect for them. How about any change in respect based on the way they acted in game six, the way John Cooper conducted himself in the Stanley cup final, or are you just chalking up any potential negative emotions or feelings toward them as, Hey, this is a really emotional series. It's emotional time in their life. Um, It's understandable that they would act up just a little bit, or do you even think they acted up at all? I mean, we saw things like Nikita Kucherov throwing his gloves at a trainer. We saw Patrick Maroon try to take out Mar- uh, Josh Manson's, I don't know, leg, I guess, after they scored that second goal. You saw Steven Stamkos shooting a puck at the referee after that goal. And of course, the cliffhanger from Cooper not giving the Avalanche the respect that they deserved after their game four victory anything change in your mind with the, with the lightning or did they sort of gain back that respect with how they acted once they did officially lose and miss out on the opportunity to three P I don't have any personal feelings about how the Tampa Bay lightning went about their business, but in seeing how everyone else reacted to how Tampa Bay conducted themselves over these last few games, I feel as if, they turned themselves even more into a villain than they already were. Because before this postseason, the big knock on them was 18 million over the salary cap. The big thing on them was, okay, they found a way to quote unquote cheat and, and get through to the playoffs. And that's why they won. Congratulations and all that. I don't believe that, but that's what people were saying. Mm -hmm. This postseason, or at least this Stanley cup final, with the way people were acting and things that there were being said, I think this particular finals run more than ever entrenches the Tampa Bay lightning as maybe the primary villain of the national hockey league right now. And it look in sport in sports, I think you need heroes and you need your villains. And while a lot of people, especially us can appreciate the fact that the, a team like the lightning could be as great as they are can put themselves in a position where they can make history. If they would have capped off a three-peat and won the way that they did, we would be talking about one of the most remarkable performances in the Stanley Cup final. And people would hate it considering the way that they went about the Stanley Cup final. The the, the weird cliffhanger, which was followed up by a by a no nothing by a nothing press conference the very next day. We're talking Mm -hmm. about one of the bigger letdowns. John Cooper, who I have a lot of respect for tried to WWE it with the cliffhanger. <laughs> and the very next day was like, you know what? Uh, my bad guys. I'm sorry. Like, that's a waste. You know, I was waiting back just sitting as a media member thinking, okay, you riled up everybody. Get, like, I don't know. That was just kind of, yeah. but I'm you know, going at it from a media perspective, but I'll just say this, the Tampa Bay lightning, I think still deserve a ton of respect for how they've gone about 
these last few years, they've gone about keeping their team under the cap. This was a team at one point before they went the whole 18 million under the cap and whatever, uh, over the cap or whatever, they were within a couple hundred bucks of, of the salary cap top. Like it, it was very close and dicey for this team. They still deserve a ton of respect for how they've been able to build their franchise in the salary cap era. And I'm still willing to call them the best team of the salary cap era. But I feel as if uh, between this year and maybe some people felt with the way they celebrated last year's championship that if you if you didn't think the Lightning were villains, I think now I think now it's fair to say they're they're the biggest villain in the National Hockey League. And that's okay. You need villains and heroes yep. to go about sports. You you need them. I I th- I'm with you. I think they lived long enough to become the villain. Um, yep. Because I think everyone at the start. At the, the bubble season, coming back from that disappointment versus Columbus, I think we wanted to see excellence rewarded because that's rarely something that we see or maybe something we don't see enough. And people wanted the Lightning to get their, their due because they were a team to admire, and they still are clearly a team to admire. But they had to take on a different personality to become the team that won two in a row and threatened to win three in a row. And I do think that, you know what, when you haven't lost in so long, you forget how to lose a little bit, but that's okay. Because as I mentioned, this is really emotional. This is everything you pour your heart and soul into this. And it's, it's everything. And when it doesn't go your way, of course, there's going to be a bit of a reaction. And when you haven't felt those emotions in a while, the emotions of losing and not having it go your way, there's going to be a response, especially when emotions are that high. It's okay to be the villain. They are the villain now. I hope the villain comes back and plays another starring role in a Stanley Cup playoffs because it makes it more interesting. The Lightning have done so much for the NHL over the last three seasons. Excellence, their excellence has been rewarded, but their excellence has helped raise the profile of the league. Their excellence was on display for ESPN and TNT. These are all really good things. And then the fact that a team full of heroes with Kale McCarr with rosy cheeks and 23 can barely drink and is the nicest guy in the world, wholesome as hell, beat that team. It just adds a really, really entertaining, engaging, intriguing, fascinating to layer to what was a great season. So uh, I have not lost any respect for the Lightning. If anything, I've gained more. Um, but that doesn't mean they were sore losers. That, mean that doesn't mean that they weren't, rather, sore losers a little bit in this series. I think, you know, it's funny, like, you mentioned what they've done over the last three seasons, how they've helped raise the profile. We also have to mention the fact that they're doing this in one of those sunbelt markets that a lot of people would say, oh, Gary Bettman is trying so hard to make work. Not only are they winning, you could look at the Tampa Bay Lightning as arguably the, the best organization in the league and how they've run everything from Jeff Vinnick all the way down. So yeah. they deserve a lot of credit. And they have done everything possible to put that embarrassment from 2019 where they win the president's trophy and get swept in the first round behind them. And in a weird way, it also kind of, you need that particular year to explain why the Tampa Bay lightning have become villains. If you were in a position where you had your best possible year and you wiped out spectacularly and everybody had memes all on you waiting to dig into you and you found a way to shut everyone up by winning the very next year, you'd act like an asshole too. Maybe that's, I think that plays a big role into why the Lightning act the way that they are. You need to act a certain way 
to win to win games to win big playoff series and all that but i think it's especially notable once you've been in in, in a particularly embarrassing position and you are not only able to rise above that but surpass that as a way to ensure that you never feel those feelings ever ever again i i can't help but think of that 2019 year as a villain origin story that is basically it like the the origin story of a team basically to 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 quote harvey dent is living long enough to see itself become the villain i am in love with the fact that we are making dark knight references on this podcast a brilliant movie the most arguably the most important one in the 21st century that's not the podcast we're we're trying to do right now it's a minor miracle that I was able to reference anything in popular culture uh, accurately. So you gotta I give yourself more credit, man. I mean, I don't watch movies. I'm a TV guy. Don't watch movies, but I did watch that movie. It was a great movie. I'm probably going to spend some time watching the, the latest. I want to say new because it's probably been out for like two years, but I will watch the latest Batman at some point this summer because it's been out for like a couple months, not that long. Okay. That's not bad. That's not bad. Uh, <laughs> That's not bad. I feel slightly better about myself. This is impromptu uh, and maybe not fair to you, but what would your top five Con Smythe vote have been if you Ooh. were in the building and had a vote? I'm assuming Kale McCarr would be number one. He, of course, won the Con Smythe uh, with 29 points in 20 games, I believe it was. An unbelievable performance, rightly deserved. I do love, though, that when McCarr had his worst game, which I think was game six of probably the entire postseason, Nathan McKinnon, who had been struggling at times in the series and throughout the playoffs in different different spots, rose up and lifted uh, the avalanche, put the team on his back with a goal in two points, his goal getting them back into the game. So it wasn't like it was all Kale McCarr, but Kale McCarr was certainly the most impressive player on the avalanche. And I think for that reason, he should be number one. But McKinnon, Kadri, Rantanen, Nikushkin. not Kemper, Nikush, Nikushkin. Uh, these guys could all be in the mix. I think after Makar, you could put them in any order, really, in terms of importance. And maybe that just underscores how great the Avalanche are, that they had that many key contributors. I would have given Connor McDavid like a fifth-place vote. Would you have given him or Drysaddle a vote if you were in the building? Uh, I don't actually know if they vote on it through five or three. I but think it's three. I don't think he would have been three, but yeah. I probably I, I might have snuck him on there. Five, why not? I mean, he still led the he hasn't played in three weeks and still led the postseason in scoring. So you got to give him some credit for that. I think Vasilevsky was my guy for the Lightning. If it was three, he'd have to be on there. I think Valeri Nikushkin was as good as any Avalanche forward. On honestly, he's he's second or third for me. For me, it's Kale McCarr for sure. Uh, Nazem Kadri because he played so well and I just love the story would have been second for me Big Val would have been third and I feel like you could interchange Kadri and Nechuskin and Nechuskin sorry um, I can't say it either I'm just struggling with it uh, yeah like I, I always thought it was because people yeah because here's the thing right? I can't say like, it while I'm talking I can say it if I just stop because the Nechushkin. avalanche because the avalanche or at least I've seen the avalanche do this where when Nechuskin scores they say get on the choo-choo train and mm. if it was if it was Nakuskin, I don't think they'd do that. They might do like cuckoo, kachoo, or whatever. But if they're gonna go choo choo train, then okay, there's a chew in the word. So you gotta I say chew, that'll help you, yeah. yep. That's it, Valerie Nachuskin. So I so all that to say, Makar for sure, Kadri and Nachuskin would have been two, three, and you can easily interchange them. I would have probably made Connor McDavid five, and I would have been okay probably putting Vasilevsky at four because. 
I mean, unless unless Andre Pilat had like another big game in that game six, then at that point, like you can't really deny him because he's had so many big moments in this postseason as well. But Andre Vasilevsky was the glue that kind of held the Tampa Bay Lightning as they went through what they went through. And also, I do not mind whenever you pull out these random impromptu segments because I, I trust you enough. We've done this podcast <laughs> long enough where we could do these types of segments. Yeah, I think uh, I think that top line of the Lightning, and let's be honest, that was really all they had from a forward perspective. Like they mm-hmm. like with Sorelli and Point not well, Sorelli not right, Point not there. They just didn't have a mix between Paul Hagel, Kalorn didn't score a goal in the playoffs. Like they just didn't have enough in that middle six, and I think that's one of the that's probably the biggest reason why they lost. They were reduced to a one line team. Makar and Taves could play against that one line one line was still really dangerous um but that was really i think the major problem for the lightning but i think when just in the con smite discussion i think those three players sort of ate at each other where you could make a case for all three of them they all were very very productive not one of them was like way more productive than the others you know kucherov slept through the first series looked banged up in the stanley cup final stamkos kind of fell asleep in the middle of there and Pilat honestly was probably the most consistent forward that the Lightning had the entire playoffs. But is he going to be that big of an impact player without Kucherov and Stamkos? So it's all like they're they're eating each other while Vasilevsky is the one guy who like stood tall in those moments. Ultimately, he wasn't good enough for them to win. Um, but while Tampa was sort of taking control of the series a little bit during the middle of the Stanley Cup final, like literally nothing other than that Kadri shot beat him clean until game six and McKinnon's goal. So it's crazy. I don't know if I'd have McKinnon really involved, at least if I had a top three, I don't know if he'd be there, which is kind of crazy to say, but it doesn't really matter because Kale McCarr was the deserving winner. And now he's got a Stanley cup, a Norris and a Conn Smythe. Uh, Within like five week, days. Just this week alone. Not bad. Not bad for the young guy. Like the only other guy, I think around his age, or like a, I think there was some stat that was saying that the only other defenseman to have won a Conn Smythe trophy before their 24th birthday is Bobby Orr. Like, we're, we're already talking about Kale McCarr and Bobby Orr in the same sentence. And within a matter of less than a week, Kale McCarr has proven he's the best defenseman in the league, is the playoff MVP, and has a Stanley Cup to his name. Like, dude is – that's a really great start to a Hall of Fame career if you're a guy like Kale McCarr. And we haven't even got into the fact that he plays so well, he is literally revolutionizing the position of defenseman as we speak. Like, if you don't have a Kale McCarr or an Adam Fox on your team right now, yep. What are or Lessons. Victor Hedman? Yeah, that. What are you really doing? What are you really doing as as a if you want to be taken seriously in the National Hockey League? That that's a big lesson to take. You have to have a Victor Hedman like guy, a Kale Kale McCarr type guy, someone like Adam Fox. You need one of those three defensemen in their in their builds. Like, if you were doing like. I don't know. I don't know how they do it on the NHL video game series. If you're creating a player, if there's like a build thing, I think in like 2K, they kind of have it for NBA 2K. Mm -hmm. But like you would want to be like one of those three defensemen there. And I think if you're a franchise, you have to have one of those three players. And McCarr's now set up to have like an all-time career, kind of. Like he's already like just fractionally behind Bobby Orr in terms of points per game in the postseason by a defenseman. He's got the Norris, the Con, and the Stanley Cup. He's only three seasons fully into his NHL career. I mean, he's got a guy like Devontae's to play with who can help him be at his best. 
defensemen are supposed to peak at like 27, 28, 29, maybe 30. Like he's got a lot of runway left to be even better than he is right now. Uh, we could be talking about the start of the a start of a career of one of the all-time greats. Uh, and it seems silly to say that so soon, but with his talent base and the situation he's in in Colorado, I feel like that's the seal or that's the potential and that there is no ceiling, I guess. Yeah, you're right. Especially with the way this Avalanche team looks. I mean, a lot of people are already ready to say that they're the next dynasty. I mean, it's so hard to go back to the Stanley Cup every year. It's just Colorado has those pieces. And again, with a guy like Caleb McCarr just kind of leading the way, like they could do it. I, I think they could, as hard as it is, I think they could do it. Like I could see them going back next year. You know, I wouldn't even be mad if we got Avalanche Lightning Part 2 next year. You know how lit that would be? You know how people in the NBA complain all the time? Like, man, we got Cleveland and Golden State too many years in a row. If we had another year of Avalanche Lightning, you're not going to hear any complaints from me, especially if we can get both of these two teams back at a top level that they've been playing. Like, I, 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 I this was entertaining. This was fun. So I'm, I'm all for it. I'd be there for it too as well. Um, if there is one more lesson for me and why I think it's possible that both could return, it's that these management teams are very, very strong. I mean, we touched on it yes. a little bit, but look at what they did at the deadline. Colorado, Josh Manson, who kind of called his shots. We kind of made it easy, but what a completive sort of deal. And the deal, if they didn't make, would they survive Sam Gerard's injury? Not really sure. Andrew Cogliano, who played a pretty big role for the Avalanche, uh, especially when protecting leads. Uh, and of course, Arturi Lekkinen, who sent them to the Stanley Cup final, scored the Stanley Cup final winning goal. And they didn't really spend that much to get those players. Then Tampa Bay, they wait and spend a fourth in Matthew Joseph to get Nick Paul, who's very, very good and can be a part of that future for even longer now. Like what they did while other teams were recklessly spending first round picks. And I can't be hypocritical. I'm all for going it, going for it, spending what you have if you have a chance to win. Because why the hell else are we doing this if we're not trying to win? But those mm -hmm. two teams made spectacular moves. And you can judge them after the fact. They made spectacular moves and they helped them get to where they got to. So all the credit in the world goes to those two guys. Joe Sackick and Julian Brisebois, who were nominated for executive of the year and Sackick should probably win it, but uh, shout out to both those guys who are really doing an incredible job navigating the difficult world of having a legendary type of team, but with the salary cap, always having pressure on that. Man. And we were talking a lot about how we get to see a series of best on best in terms of players, but I don't think we've hyped up enough the fact that the coaching staff and the management could also be part of that best on best as well. If we were able to have uh, an Olympic tournament, say like next year or something would, I mean, yes, I understand a guy like Doug Armstrong and the experience that he has and still leading St. Louis to, 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 to the success they've been having. You, mm -hmm. you obviously put him at that GM role, but do you not call on Julian Breesbaugh to be a part of that organizational team? Do you not call on, on Jared Bednar and John Cooper to be on the coaching staff is Cooper coaching and then Bednar assistant. Like you have some of the best from top to bottom with regards to organizations. Like we were truly spoiled in terms of the two teams we were able to get in this Stanley cup final and what they were able to provide, not just on the ice, but also off the ice. Yep. 
uh couldn't say it better myself uh the celebration it wasn't a complete gong show at least what we saw wasn't like completely over the top we didn't have like nikita kucherov basically signing a bud light deal in real time um but there were some good moments nick obey kubel dropped the cup right before any beer was even consumed denting it before the team photo which is hilarious i love how the cup is like this cherished holy grail but once it gets into the hands of the players, it doesn't really matter what happens to it. I kind of love that. I think that's pretty endearing. Uh, Nathan McKinnon saying that he wants a drunk Sidney Crosby at his cup party. If you're going to any cup party, it's probably that one because you get two for one with the two Cole Harbor boys getting into it. And uh, there were kind of some, I didn't see much footage, but Nathan McKinnon drinking from the Stanley Cup and having this like very almost orgasmic look on his face. Like it was what he had been waiting for his entire life was pretty awesome. Is there anything else that caught your eye in terms of best moments from the cup celebration? So yeah, like seeing Kad- obviously seeing Kadri uh, say what he had to say uh, and with getting everyone to kiss his ass, like that stands out as yep. a really great moment. Um, I was really into uh, who was going to be the very first person to get the cup from Gabriel Landeskog. I mm. don't know where people got the idea that it was going to be Nathan McKinnon who was going to get it first, even though he did say that he was in the league nine years and hadn't won shit. But it was going to Eric Johnson. Eric yep. Johnson is like the longest tenured like Denver sports athlete who's like really? he's also been in the league since like 2005. Like dude was going to get it. Like he was going to get the Stanley Cup first, and all these other guys who all these other older guys were it before we were going to see Nathan McKinnon. Get. Like I was watching the line, I was like, geez, like it's what a, like Kale McCarr didn't even get the cup like until at least like eight or nine other guys was mckinnon third mckinnon was pretty up there he might have been third or fourth i think it was mckinnon third and then they went back to another vet maybe jack johnson fourth and maybe kadri anyway i think they did it the right way you're right i i I mean eric johnson definitely deserved getting it but i like that he went straight to mckinnon i believe after that because mckinnon shouldn't have had to wait very long for it yeah absolutely not like could you imagine if we were waiting like five six people deep can you imagine that'd be like a funny prank if mckinnon's been waiting for this cup longer than anybody he's he's totally turned around everyone's diets making everyone eat chickpea pasta and making sure everyone doesesn't eat like crap and everyone else on the colorado iphone says oh do you 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 changed up all our diets you don't want to see it get it out you're gonna have to wait for this cup do you imagine how funny that can you imagine how funny that would be that would be I really hope, petty though. i hope two things i hope nathan mckinnon plays into it and eats something so so healthy out of the cup like <laughs> I, I hope like, it's like a fresh bowl like vegan like something something that is very Chihuahua. healthy but i hope we also see him at in and out or shake shack or something this summer uh having that one cheat meal he'll probably allow himself this summer before he gets back to work although he did say that he might be gaining some weight partying all summer based on uh what uh what the activities will be um now that he has reason to celebrate uh 10 years into the league he is finally and to quote him one shit uh tire pumps it's where we bestow praise on anything and everything in the hockey world i'm going to give mine to jack johnson a lesser talked about member of the colorado avalanche who just recently joined the team but this guy has lived quite the story um he got taken for a ride financially by his parents people he was anyone should think that they could trust what their parents are doing with them and having his best financial and personal interests in mind, uh, lost a lot, lost a lot from his life, but 
has managed to rebound not just professionally winning the Stanley Cup, but actually went back to school, or not even went back to school, has been picking away at his degree throughout the last 10, 11 years after leaving, I believe it was the University of Michigan, and he just recently completed his degree. So the accomplishments are not um, uh, reduced to just winning the Stanley Cup for Jack Johnson, who is now a proud owner of a degree from the University of Michigan, again, I believe. Um, And that's an awesome story. And I hope nothing but the best for him. He's a bit of a joke sometimes on Twitter. People like to poke fun at him. But who's making fun of him right now? He's the uh, Stanley Cup champion and a graduate at the University of Michigan. If I have messed up where he went to school, I've now messed it up three times. So I apologize, but I'm pretty pretty positive that's where he got his degree from. So shout out yeah. at a tire pump to Jack Johnson. Yeah, I, I from what I remember, it was the University of Michigan with Jack Johnson. So if, if, if you're wrong, I'm wrong too. Uh, I'll check yeah, it out while really- you give your tire pump. My tire pump initially, and my tire pump initially was going to go to Nazem Kadri, but I feel we've praised him enough for what he was able to do. So I'm going to give it to Arturi Lekkinen, who has turned himself from a dependable middle lineup forward. Who, I'll, I'll admit it, we probably, I think people in Montreal probably didn't appreciate him as much. He was a guy who was very analytically sound, but so many people wanted him to be this like good secondary scorer and people were frustrated with him for years and i don't think people and i include myself in this i don't think people really respected what he was able to provide everywhere else as a good defender again a good middle of the line of players some good quickness some good forechecking as well some great abilities there and last year at the canadians with as they go on their miracle run to the stanley cup final i think that's when people really started to see what was what and then he scores the goal on June 24th that sends the Canadians to the Stanley Cup final. And nearly a year later, he scores the cup-winning goal for the Colorado Avalanche. This is a guy who I think has transformed himself into a clutch playoff performer. And you don't have to be a top-of-the-lineup guy to do that. You just have to be in the lineup somewhere. And considering what he's done with the Canadians and with the Avalanche, in particular this postseason, I think it's fair to call Arturi Lekkinen one of the best playoff performers in recent memory. So I'm willing to give him a tire pump for this week. Guy scores exclusively big goals. Did you see the photo of uh, his dad? I believe his dad was doing Finnish TV. Yes. He was watching on a monitor and someone said to him, hey, why don't you go out there and celebrate? And he said, why don't let the boys have fun? It's, uh, I mean, it's kind of sweet. I mean, but he also deserves to be there because all the other friends and family were there. Uh, I'm sure he made his way onto the ice, but it's kind of cool that uh, he was both enjoying it, letting his son have his moment uh, and waiting his his turn to have his moment with his son. Uh, That's a pretty cool story among very uh, or among many very cool stories from the Stanley Cup final. One last thing. I'll just ask you simply, does your heart break at all for Corey Perry? You covered him with the Montreal Canadiens, three straight Stanley Cup final losses for a player. I feel like I'm alone in cherishing and enjoying uh, this guy was Corey Perry at his best in this final, taking water bottles off, poking Darcy Kemper. This is what he does. And if we're talking about villains and important role players, when up, upping the entertainment value, Corey Perry is one of those guys. I wish he had his moment. I'm happy that he does have a Stanley cup. I'm, I love players that want it so bad and Corey Perry wants it so bad. So my heart breaks 
a little bit for the worm. How about you? Um, I'm not sure how I feel about that as a, sorry, my light off my computer just fell off. So my apologies for that. I'll just say this. I'd feel a lot worse for him if he didn't have that cup from uh, the Anaheim Ducks here in 07, because losing three years straight with three different teams is, is very heartbreaking. You remember that game in the word in the winter classic where he was with Dallas and he got ejected like how many seconds in I was like January 1st, 2020. Corey Perry has lost three Stanley Cup finals since that day. That's insane. That is insane. Like, yeah. I I feel for him a little bit. And, and I'm with you. Like, I think I think he's a great player. I think he provides a lot for a lot of teams because of how he plays. He's also totally to adjusted make... his game. Like, Yeah, that too. I, I just respect that. Like, this guy was a, he was a heart, former Hart Trophy winner. And now yeah. he's adjusted to a role player who just wants it and kind of serves as the beating heart of his team. Like I can't help but feel for him. I feel like a team like the Leafs should trade for him because even if it means you lose in the final, at least you get out of the first round. He has a year left on that contract. He has a year left on that contract. You might as well do it. That's what I would do. And I think Tampa Bay, even though they'd lose out on a guy like Corey Perry, I don't remember specifically how much money uh, he has, uh, his contract is worth, but considering how they're always looking to shuffle around, they could always use the space. I think if you could make a deal work, I don't think they'll necessarily mind parting with that salary. I don't know. I think he was a good. I think he was a good fit, and they need cost. He was a good contracts. fit. He, he was plays a good fit. on the top just, power play. Absolutely. It's just if you're desperate, if you're saying we need Corey Perry on this team. I don't necessarily think he should turn away some of those offers. I'm not saying the Lightning should offload Corey mm-hmm. Perry. I'm just saying if someone feels hey you know what we want to go to the cup final next year and they're willing to to give you a good offer for Corey perry why not listen i hope he's got one more run in him at least um julian this is fun it's not over for us this season We're still gonna oh. react to the draft free agency we've got still got several zone time episodes but yes. at the end of a long season in terms of regular playoffs seeing a champion crowned uh, it was a lot of fun talking hockey, hockey with you all season. That will continue over the next few weeks. But uh, a, I thank you every episode. But a bigger thank you for being along for the ride all year long. I think we're both happy to see Colorado win the Stanley Cup. And I think we're happy that games are coming to an end here because we got some summer to do once oh, yeah. the draft and free agency are over. So thanks again, Julian. And we got zone time later today. So we better wrap this baby up. Yes, let's do it. And uh, I am looking forward to them, Bobby Marks. Peace. They're coming. Give me uh, give me address. Send me location. See you, buddy. Will do. Absolutely. Peace. <laughs>